Good afternoon and welcome to Assuring Your Digital Transformation with Identity Governance and Administration Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Improvada. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments as they occur to you and we'll take them later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to, uh, well, first, a uh, nice way to view the screen, click in the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode. You can adjust the divider to get the slides and the video boxes the size you want, and it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Randy Nail, healthcare technology solution strategist with Microsoft, and our good friend Wes Wright, CTO with Improvada, and then we'll have our Q&A. So let's jump right into it. A uh, very interesting topic today. We want to make sure we answer all the questions that are out there in the audience. So I want you to take advantage of that, that questions opportunity. But let's get started. Um, Randy, you want to give us an overview of your role? I think people know Microsoft, but maybe you do want to give a little color around what they're doing in this space. Yeah, thank you for that. So um, my role is I lead our um, healthcare technology platform initiatives um, for our U.S. healthcare customers. So essentially working with, um, you know, the largest enterprise healthcare delivery organizations, um, healthcare solution um, companies, that sort of thing, to uh, build out um, uh, healthcare uh, solutions on the Microsoft cloud. And that includes, you know, relevant to today, that includes the uh, identity and access and other security, privacy, and compliance uh, features, functions, and capabilities necessary to um, use those cloud platforms and the solutions built on them for uh, healthcare data and, uh, and healthcare use cases. All right, very good, Wes. Uh, hi. Thanks for having me again, uh, Anthony. Randy, great to uh, be on another uh, Health System CIO uh, webinar with you. Um, Wes Wright, I am the Chief Technology Officer at Improvada. Been at Improvada about two and a half years now. Uh, prior to that, I have 25 years on the health delivery organization side, um, various CIO and CTO roles uh, there. And, Really, my, my job at, uh, at Improvada is really to bring that customer focus. Uh, Gus Malezes, our, our CEO, has been there about four years now, um, really wants, wants the, uh, the, the customer focus to be front and center uh, at Improvada. Uh, you know, what, what is going to help our customer, which is usually the health IT uh, folks, uh, what is going to help our customers help their customers, the clinicians, the, pay, the uh, providers, uh, deliver uh, care in the most efficient way possible. So that that's why Gus brought me on board is uh, one to to bring that that into focus more into focus than uh, uh, than it was. And, and two, I kind of try and look over the horizon a little bit uh, and talk to people uh, like Randy about what's happening with identity and access management, uh, not just in healthcare but in general, uh, and, and try to. You know, uh, do the old, uh, uh, what's his name, the hockey guy, skate to where the puck is. Give me a little Gretzky. help there. There Gretzky. we go. Yep, yeah. Yeah. 
yep, try to get to where the puck is instead of where it was. That's uh, uh, also what I do. And then uh, uh, start to play a little bit in the mergers and acquisition side to, to, to identify some good um, uh, enhancements or tangential uh, uh, things that Improvada uh, can do to to uh, to go back to that original goal, which was to to make uh, our our cust- to help our customers uh, make technology as transparent as possible to to their customers. Very good. All right, Wes, let's stick with you. Talk about okay. the digital transformation you see as a result of the pandemic. What are some of your observations? That things that have impressed you, things that have been done out there. Yeah, there's there's a couple of different, uh, you know, just like healthcare. There's the there's the the healthcare, the practice side of the house, and then there's our my old side of the house, which is the healthcare IT delivery side of the house. And, and uh, of course, on the practice side of the house, the, the thing that we saw uh, was uh, the the incredible increase in virtual health or telehealth or whatever kind of health you want to call. Uh, non-in-person healthcare delivery. You know, we had, I think uh, Randy ha- probably has this number, but I remember at the beginning of COVID, at, at some point, they, you know, uh, I heard something like, you know, Teams usage uh, ha- had gone up three thousand percent in a week, or some such thing like that. And, and when that happened, we we got a lot of the the, the clinicians that that uh, used to say, hey. Uh, I'll do telehealth when you you know, pry my stethoscope from my cold dead hands, uh, and, and you know then they were forced to do virtual care and forced to do that. And they went, hey, this ain't this ain't too bad after all. They probably didn't say ain't because they're a lot more educated than I am. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't too bad after all. And and, and now, uh, yeah, we've seen the tele telehealth rates come way back down. You know, somewhere in the twenties, I would imagine. But um, those places where it's most appropriate, so say like in a bundled surgery program where you know you had to, a patient had to drive into the hospital for and, and you know burn two hours in their day to have somebody do a wound check. Well, now they can do that uh, using virtual health. So I think that's great. That's what I saw on the on the delivery side of the house, and, and then or, or on the the patient care side of the house, and then on the delivery side of the house, uh, we saw. Uh, not that we didn't on the patient care side, but we saw quite a bit of heroics, really. Um, you know, there there were there were uh, health IT organizations that, you know, at one time they had ten percent of their workforce work remote, maybe ten percent, and it and they didn't work remote all the time. And then all of a sudden, you know, from day one to day two, eighty uh, percent of their workforce is clamoring to to work remote. And the the heroics, the hoops that that the, both the chief information security officer's office, the CIO's office, all those folks went through to enable uh, that that capability, that work from home capability, uh, was was just uh, something that I think the health IT community should be should be and should continue to be uh, proud of. Randy, what were your observations? Yeah, uh, you know, first of all, I would agree with every everything that Wes just walked through there. So he, he you know, uh, whether it's the, you know, great increase in telehealth, virtual visits, and virtual consults, virtual rounding, all sorts of you know technology being used to engage um, uh, and and 
enable healthcare delivery. You know, we saw a ton of that. I was talking to one of our customers um, last week, and I think they told me they've done 1.2 million um, virtual visits but um, since I want to say they said June or something like that. It, it, whatever, whatever. I don't remember the exact time frame, but 1.2. The 1.2 sticks out of my head. It, um, I, it, I was pretty surprised by that. It's just one, you know, it's just one organization that that had ramped up to that. Um, you know, the other thing though that I would add to what to what Wes said is the acceleration of of what you know a lot of folks refer to as the consumerization of healthcare delivery. And that is, you know, now that uh, there's this recognition that, that healthcare can be digitally enabled and, and even partially delivered in a digital way, there, there, this expectation that was starting to happen has accelerated. And the expectation is around, you know, if I want to go on a vacation to, you know, the Maldives, I can get on my cell phone and I can pretty much have that wrapped up in about 30 minutes. And, you know, I have my flight, I have my hotel, I have, you know, somebody to help me get there. I can look up, you know, things to do while I'm there, all of that sort of thing. Contrast that with the experience that folks have with healthcare today, where I call, you know, a phone number, I might get the person that I need. I might not, they may transfer me to somewhere else. I may have to get on a way. I mean, you know, it's a, the experiences couldn't be more different. And so there's this um, real focus by our healthcare provider customers on enabling this consumer digital experience where when I get to the waiting, the, the ER or to the urgent care clinic, I'm already in line and they already know who I am. And I've already pre-filled out the paperwork. And, um, you know, before I even, um, you know, leave to go back home, the device that I need to help me do my therapy is already on its way to my house. And, you know, those kinds of um, digitally enabled experiences. And, you know, the the pandemic has really accelerated, um, you know, our customers' investment in that and, and their customers' expectation around um, those uh, digital experiences. And, you know, I think you see maybe the same thing in education and, and other industries, but, you know, given the disparity between uh, consumer experience and other industries and, and what we've had traditionally in healthcare, um, I, I think, you, you know, we had so much ground to make up that, you, you know, it, it's become a, a, a critical focus for um, our healthcare provider organizations. Uh, Wes, the, the drop back down, you know, that, that we've seen uh, from yeah. that virtual engagement, you attribute yeah. that to uh, and, and I'm not up on the latest policy developments in terms of the reimbursement, what's right. being reimbursed, what's been extended, what hasn't. But so if you go by the theory that, you know, healthcare, you talk about the healthcare IT heroics, you say to yourself, and it makes me think, you know, from a CIO point of view, a lot of them are probably saying, look, we could have done this all along, but yeah. there was a lot of bureaucracy. There was always a lot of red tape. There was this, everyone was wanted to move real slowly, but we were always, we could have always done this because look, we did it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, it, that, so the patients uh, took care that way because they had to, the providers delivered care that way because they had to, the money was there because the government made the changes. Mm-hmm. But what do you think about everything sinking back to the, to the way it was? Why does that happen? And does it have to happen? Should it happen? Or should it not happen? I mean, you, you said it, Anthony. Um, it's, you know, it's always 
and probably always will be. It's the follow the money. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there at the at the height of the uh, emergency order declaration, the the telehealth visit uh, was paid exactly as much as if that visit was conducted uh, in person. And so there was no there was no disincentive for folks to do it. Um, you know, the the uh, there's probably a 30 to 40 percent disparity, if not more, uh, in the in the normal payments for the telehealth visits. I actually think it's more than that now that I think about it. Uh, and so there was a disincentive. I mean, you had to really be like in an ACO or uh, a, a really good managed care organization, like a Kaiser or something like that, that. Uh, you know, that got the benefit back from uh, that telehealth visit, you know, eventually right. uh, in order for you to really just go full force into telehealth. When they started paying, uh, uh, then when we got to parity, the providers, of course, it's, you know, if I can stay at my home and, and, and do the do double the number of visits uh, and, and get and essentially get double the pay. And not have to go into the hospital and so on and so forth. Of course, they're they're going to do it. Uh, when when that uh, when the Blue Crosses and and the insurance companies started to go, oh, wait a minute, um, you know, you don't have any overhead anymore. You, mm. That hospital mm. overhead that we were paying you or are paying you or the ambulatory clinic uh, overhead that we're paying you for that inpatient visit, you don't have that overhead because <laughs> you're you're at your house. So mm-hmm. we're, we're not going to pay you the same rate uh, as, uh, as what we like we were doing. I, I think personally, this is just a West, right? Not an improvised opinion. I think personally, the, the telehealth rate is a little too low. I can understand it shouldn't be parity because again, there isn't that overhead there. But, you know, we, we need to find a, I think we need to, a U.S. healthcare organization, need to find this 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 parity point to where if we can get i don't know maybe 50 percent of the visits uh in telehealth uh to where it makes financial sense uh not just for for the provider but for the provider's organization then we'll get that we'll see that you know we went up 80 percent and then we dive back down to 10 to 15 percent and I'd like to see us, you know, start getting getting back up there around the, the 30 to 50 percent if we possibly could. But that's not going to happen if we don't if we don't start paying a little bit more right. for that telehealth visit, I, I think. Right. All right. That's very interesting. We'll keep an eye on how that evolves. Um, Randy, let's uh, start with you on this question. Why is identity governance and administration so important to successful digital transformation? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, uh, there's a couple of things that are, the, that are pretty obvious, right? So as you begin to um, enable more digital experiences for the patient, for the caregiver, for the specialist, for the home health nurse, for the, you know, long-term care therapist, for the, um, you know, the dispatcher at the home health that's, you know, there's just more and more people involved in the, in the digital experience. And so, therefore, they need an identity to participate there so that you can make sure that they're doing the right things, that they don't have access to information that they shouldn't have access to, that they do have access to the systems that they need to do 
their job. And so, you know, there's just more and more identities. And, and of course, with more identities comes more churn. Um, you know, with more digital experiences comes more digital applications. And, and so there, there's just, you know, I think it's pretty obvious there's aggregately more systems, people, and, and all of that, that that you have the more you digitize. And so, therefore, um, you know, these um, you know, IT and, and information security organizations that um, make sure all of those things are um, appropriate, right? Folks have the access they need to do their job. They they don't have access to the things that they shouldn't, um, you know, that malicious actors aren't there. Um, you know, those folks need um, tools in order to be able to do that, right? They're not going to get um, more headcount. <laughs> you know, it, as a matter of fact, it's probably going the other way. Um, they're not, uh, they're, the, the number of bad actors that are trying to get at, you, you know, this private information and, and, and um, you know, just cause havoc. Um, those things are not getting less, they're getting more, all, all of that. And so, you know, having a complete um, and uh, highly automated and, um, you know, highly secure and, and highly capable identity governance solution is, you know, I think uh, a prerequisite to digital transformation. Um, if you think about the way virtual visits are held today, um, or at least the way that they were sort of ramped up during the, the height of the pandemic, uh, the first sort of surge of the pandemic, we're still at the height of the pandemic, but the first surge, the way that those things were done is, Patients came in almost as anonymous users. So we're in this teleconference here, and you know, when I joined, I just put in um, you know some number that was sent to me via email to um, say that I was a participant. Well, that's the way virtual visits kind of happened, um, and in many cases still happen, right? You just get this number, you type in. Well. You know, how do I know that that's me? Well, I got to hold up my uh, driver's license and let the person look at it or, you know, one of those things. Well, you know, that's just really not good enough, especially as more and more of this stuff gets automated. Right. So I mentioned earlier that by the time the doctor comes in, I want to have already gathered, um, you know, maybe some insurance information or maybe done a, a, a COVID symptom check or something like that in an automated way so that the nurse or the doctor doesn't have to spend their time, you know, doing that. Well, I can't use the driver's license then. I've got to know that I have the right person before, you know, um, the doctor or the nurse even joins in. And so, all of that means that inpatient needs an identity. And so there, there you go, then there's more people who need an identity and need to be validated and verified. And so, you know, keeping track of all that is really the role of identity governance. And, and as, as I, I mentioned, as we do more and more of that, and it becomes critical to these uh, digital experiences and the safety and security of the data that they create, you have to have that identity governance, you know, capability in place in a sophisticated and automated way, right? And and um, I know that's sort of the the root of what our um, our, our talk today is about. And you know, and uh, I think you all shared the Gartner report that essentially said the same thing. And 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 you know, couldn't agree more. Yeah, if we can uh, get that link sent out. Uh, oh, we did. No, we didn't. We'll send it out uh, if we can get that link sent out in the chat box to the Gartner paper. That'd be great. Um, Wes, is yeah. you know you've been talking about this for for a while, 
um, yep. identity governance. It's the new control plane. Yep. Um, is it a question of convincing people that an old way is no longer sufficient? Um, is it accepted sort of as common sense now that identity governance is is the way to go about it or one of the key ways to go about security? Or is it really just a question of how? Are we beyond whether or not identity governance is is a key tool, and now it's just a question of how you go about implementing it. Man, that's a fantastic question, Anthony. Not I mean, bad, huh? Yeah, no. I, I, Don't ask know, me to repeat it. I'll never remember I was, it. I, I was just, uh, <laughs> you know, I hate to say it, but I'm a little bit surprised it was that good a question. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, it's a little bit of all that. Uh, it really is. Um, so it used to be uh, back in the day that. You know, an ID was something that we used to, to, we would just pass them out like candy because you needed an ID to get your, to get to your exchange online or your email or hell at that time, it was uh, Banyan Vines, that, that kind of stuff. So we'd give you an, uh, uh, an, an ID, a user ID. And that's the way we thought about it, uh, about it. We didn't think of it as a digital identity and, and we have been doing um, IT stuff like that for you know 10 or 15 years and it's just been <laughs> here's a here's a user id it's not a digital id it's not you like randy said it's not you it's just a it's just a a a one of your you know thousand not thousands probably one of your 10 or 20 uh user ids that you have and so we've we've been disingenuous with our users, and I don't like to call them users, but let's do that uh, by by just handing those those user IDs out like candy and not emphasizing how important uh, that digital identity is uh, to controlling everything. You know, I've done the slide that says you know digital identity is the heart of everything. Your users and, and locations and your applications and your device it it really is at the heart of everything. And we haven't trained our end users that how how important that digital identity is, and even worse, we haven't trained our health IT technologists how important that digital identity is. I think back to way back at the beginning of the of the session, one of the things that has uh, sprang to light uh, in COVID is exactly how important that digital ID uh, is. Um, you know, as, as we have the joiners, movers, and leavers. Uh, you know, you, you move the ambulatory nurse to the COVID ward and then back over to the ED and, and, and he's got all these extra entitlements all of a sudden. And then when it goes back to his normal job, uh, what are you going to do with that stuff? We've had this conversation before, Anthony. Um, yep. So now it's been brought to light. Um, uh, my folks asked me, you know, what, what is digital? Hey, if you're going to buy a house, if you're going to build a house, you're going to put plumbing in it, right? Yeah, yeah. Of course, I'm going to put plumbing. Ideally, That's, yeah. Ideally, that's what digital identity is. It's it's plumbing. It's something that is that essential to a great uh, health IT operation. Um, but it's not fancy. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. There's no. There's no fireworks and stuff that that go off from your clinicians when when the toilet flushes. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's an it's an expected thing. And so. It's been kicked down the road, kicked down the road, kicked down the road. And now that's why I love uh, Barry's paper, the Gartner paper that uh, Kate put out there for us, is that he is, he's associating, look, 
you can't do digital transformation or you can't build a house unless you have a good identity governance administration. Well, you can build a house, but then you're going to have to have some, you know, an outhouse and there ain't going to be any water in your house. So if you want to, if you want to do a, a, a modern house, you've got to have plumbing. If you want to do digital transformation because uh, digital identity touches everything in digital transformation, you have to do uh, a good identity governance and administration. You just can't you can't kick that road that can down the road any longer. So that I'm, I'm I couldn't agree with Barry's paper anymore. Do you think this is widely understood, Wes, among CISOs? Is this totally accepted common knowledge at this point, or is there resistance? Um. Well, another good question, Anthony. And, yeah, and that's I'm, two in a row, buddy. That's two in a row. Um, <laughs> you are you are on a roll. And I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm really gonna be anxious to hear what uh, uh, Randy says about this one too. Um, I still think it's I still think it, to some degree it, it's a can that people think they can kick down the road. Um, you know, I, I I I talk to folks and they go, well, that's that's pretty pricey just for managing digital IDs. And I go, wait a minute, not just for, you know. I just walked you through this whole slide thing and mm-hmm. showed you exactly how important digital identity is. As a matter of fact, I, I saw your head nod and when I said digital identity is the new control plane. And now we get to here and you go, well, that's a lot of money just for digital. It's it's your whole shooting match. It's it's how mm-hmm. things how how you control everything. So I, I think we're still it's better than it was pre-COVID, way, way better. Uh, but I still think that there are some uh, CISOs and CIOs and CTOs and where it falls is is changing back and forth, of course. But I still think there's some some of those folks that are playing kick the can out there still, you know, getting getting it on down the road. I'll get to it next year's budget. Randy, this is really this is really interesting. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? Um, is it shocking that people are kicking this down the road to you? Do you see people kicking it down the road? Um, you know, I, I would, I more or less agree with what, with what Wes said, I, I, maybe articulated just a little different. So I, I think that, you know, any sort of uh, information security um, professional understands that identity governance is absolutely required. I think where folks have it maybe gotten their head wrapped around is the absolute need for automation of that. Um, There's a lot of folks who still do all of that very, in a very manual way. Right. So if I need to get access to something else or somebody leaves or um, I I need, you know, to identify a patient, I, I walked through a minute ago holding up the, the um, you know, the driver's license. I, I think, you know, there are a lot, maybe a lot, maybe not a lot, but I think there are certainly BDMs and TDMs, so business decision makers and technical decision makers in, in the healthcare industry that believe manual and, and doing an okay job at this is good enough. And so therefore they're kicking that you know, can down the road as, as Wes mentioned. Um, but, you know, if we take something like what's going on right now around the COVID-19 vaccines, even, 
I mean, if you're a healthcare worker and you're going to go, you know, uh, practice medicine, deliver care, you know, sometime after a few months from now, the question is going to be asked, do you have, have, have you had the COVID vaccine? And if not, we're not going to let you practice medicine, mm -hmm. you know, right. in our facility or whatever. Well, if you think about that, I need to identify who you are and whether or not you have the vaccine or not. So that's a form of digital identity, right? And and so you, you can imagine that now, you know, if I had a very sophisticated and a very complete and a very automated digital identity system, then having the COVID vaccine or not could simply be an attribute or a piece of data that I could get to um, once I, you know, validate that person's identity. And, and I think, you know, if I just sort of use that example there, I, I think there's a lot of people would say, yeah, we don't need all that. We'll just like, you, you know, print it out, put it in um, the HR or, or put it in our employee health system and then, you know, manually have somebody manually match all that up or make a photocopy of it or God forbid fax it, you know, from wherever, <laughs> wherever the vaccine was done. Right. And, and that's sort of good enough. Right. Um, and as, as again, I'll say it again, as we digitize more and more of this and technology begins to fill more and more of the, um, uh, you know, sort of in-between spaces um, and, and, you know, there's, there's more of this hybrid delivery of care, um, that, that, that sort of manual process is just not going to be good enough, right? It, it's, it's just not going to be good enough. And so I think, you know, the 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 can kickers are going to regret their decisions at some point right it's like the last folks that hold that held out on virtualizing their servers in their data center right yeah. they regretted that decision they're like oh my god i can't believe i still have thousands of physical servers in my data center and you know my competitors or my my you know the folks across the street are doing are able to do so much more and at, at so much less cost and so much more efficiently because they virtualized you know five years ago and so I, I think the, the can kickers are going to regret that decision, <laughs> you know, before too long in, in, a, in a similar way. And I like yeah, that. So I like that phraseology there, Randy. The can kickers, <laughs> and we and we see we see them doing it on we see them doing it on cloud too. And uh, boy, yeah. those, those folks uh, when COVID came along, they really regretted kicking that can down the road. I'll tell you. Well, when they read that, if they haven't already, Wes, when they read that press release that that's out today around, you know, Amazon maybe getting into the primary care space, <laughs> they're going to go, man, we really should have thought about that cloud stuff a little harder. <laughs> well, let me, Wes, let me pretend to be a can kicker here. Okay. okay? So... Um, now, I think we've defined the issue as uh, everyone gets that, that digi managing digital identity is, is very important. That's what Randy was saying. Makes sense. Um, but the can kickers are saying, I can survive with my manual approach right now. I don't have or I don't want to spend the money on this right now because I've got other things I need or want to spend money on. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine your retort, Wes, based on the uh, plumbing analogy is you are you are making uh, an unwise decision in terms of what you're deciding to kick down the road. This is so important and so critical, and I'm guessing you would say so unmanageable in a manual way that you're you're making a very dangerous decision. Do I have that right? 
Yeah, yeah. Or to, you know, take the analogy to its inevitable conclusion. Uh, you know, they, 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 they are I'm scared. Building, they are building an outhouse. I'm scared too, Anthony. <laughs> I, I didn't know how much we were going to get into the weeds here on the plumbing, but go ahead, Wes. But yeah, they're 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 okay with having an outhouse when when the rest of when the rest of society has moved into uh, indoor plumbing. I'm okay with this outhouse. I, I, you know, that's that's what we can do. I'm okay with the outhouse and the well, and we'll just bring the water in as we. That that's where they're at, and, and you know, we also I think probably August. Maybe July, somewhere around there. Uh, you know, Improvada released the Improvada Digital Identity Framework for healthcare, and I think those can kickers, when they think uh, IGA, they're simply thinking provisioning and deprovisioning, and they're not looking at all the things. I mean, in that uh, Digital Identity Framework, I think there's either 32 or 33 capabilities that really fall in identity governance and administration. And they're thinking about, okay, yeah, I've got the, you know, uh, Joe Bag of Donuts is sitting there. He gets a, <laughs> he gets a, he gets a spreadsheet and he types in some stuff and then he builds an account for, you know, nurse Joe. That's what, that's what the can kickers thinking. And, and if we can get in front of them and, and say, look, it's not just deprovisioning, uh, provisioning and deprovisioning one, it has to be automated. I mean, if there's anything that, begs for automation in healthcare, <laughs> healthcare IT, it's the provisioning and deprovisioning of digital identities. But there's so many, you know, that's that's two of the 30, and actually that's only one box of the 32 capabilities that, that a digital identity framework, that a good identity governance and administration program needs uh, to, to make the, the technology transparent to that clinician or to that, that business partner. Um, so, you know, it, yeah. Hey, yeah, your outhouse works okay. And you're, you're bringing in the water from the well works okay. Um, uh, but you know, go to your neighbor's house where they have indoor plumbing and turn on the faucet and, and that kind of stuff. And that's what you're missing out on. All right. Let me ask you, if you just give me a ballpark answer. What percentage of health systems out there do you think have a system that, that sort of hits all 32 boxes? What percentage out there are totally, you know, they're flying high. They're all set. They got the best indoor plumbing you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, five to 10. Really? So yeah. there's a lot of room. Randy, you, what do you think about that? You see a lot of room out there to grow with this stuff? I, I do, Anthony. And I, I would, I, I agree, you know, maybe 10%. Um, and, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is there's a lot of pressure for the, you know, for the investment that it takes to do yep. this in, in, in the right way. So, so that's completely understandable, right? Digital identity and all that isn't the only thing that these folks have to spend money on. And then the other thing is, um, there are a ton of obstacles and constraints that are pre preventing even the folks that are willing to invest the money, make it a priority and all of that. So if you, so if you eliminate all that kind of stuff, there's still a number of constraints that are preventing people, you know, beyond that 10% uptake for all of those boxes. Right. And that, that ranges from, well, Who's responsible for the um, who, who's responsible for making sure the data is valid? Is that, you know, for for physicians, is that some sort of con credentialing agency 
for, you know, nurses? Is that some sort of different credentialing agency? You know, for IT people, is that, you know, just HR and, and, and you know, for, you know, that sort of thing. And then, you know, when you begin to add, you know, patients and systems and applications and things like that into the mix, the constraints are, well, who owns the patient's identity and what identity are they going to use? Are they going to use an identity I gave them or are they going to bring their own identity? And so, you, you know, you, you have different, you know, people who think about that in different ways. And the, the federal, you know, in the U.S., there's no federal identity for digital identity for healthcare. So each sort of, you know, company or private organization has to come up with that on their own. And, and so there's, there's just, you know, one more thing that, and before I get off of that, um, the different applications that they have to use and that in many cases are, are mandated by law. So think of an EHR system. You know, many of those systems don't plug easily into, into digital identity um, ecosystems. And so, you, you know, I guess the point of all that is, I'll, I'll say it again, even those that want to be much better and are willing to invest in it still have a ton of obstacles to overcome. And therefore, I think that holds that percentage of, of you know, healthcare companies that do a great job across all of it, holds that way down. Yep. And Wes, you've, we've talked about this before, and you've said um, if you're trying to do too much at the beginning, you can really get stalled, right? You know, you, you mentioned oh, yeah. it just you just got to get started type thing. Yeah, but I mean, what what Randy's talking about is uh, we hear it all the time. It's yeah, HR is responsible for our W two employees, our FTEs there. Well, who's responsible for your volunteers? Because they need to check email and have digital ID too. Well, we don't know. Well, <laughs> what about your providers? Like in California and Washington, the providers can't be W two employees. Who, who, who takes care of them? Well, that's our our, our CMO's office. So you got this. You've got Nobody that has, here's the source of truth. Every every capital resource that is going to be in this facility or in our I, I, IDN, um, we will find out about them from this source of information. And boy, just trying to get that agreed upon, um, you know, uh, it's it costs thousands of lives and 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 millions of hours in meetings. Um, so it, it, it's uh, it's that. So you can start with that. You know, most systems you can have multiple sources of truth. So you can start with that. But what you're alluding to, Anthony, is the, the conversations we've had where they go, okay, I have 300 applications, and uh, I have 6,000 job descriptions. So now I need to take these 6,000 job descriptions and decide how to apportion these applications and access inside of these applications to all of these job descriptions. And you just get wrapped around that job description axle. And then some of the times HR goes, yeah, I agree. We do have too many job app, uh, job descriptions. So let's rationalize those job descriptions. So this identity governance program that, that you want to get rolling, get stalled by the HR program that does need to you know, strengthen 6,000 or uh, position codes down to 2,000. And so you get wrapped around that axle. But, you know, we have some tools in Pravada, not to make this a commercial for us, but we have some tools that actually take, especially with all of our one-sign customers, that take the, the data that you've been using, hey, these 6,000 people, despite the roles that, they, that their job description has, 
you can tell me their names and I can tell you the applications that they've been using. And you can tell me like six or seven ICU nurses and I can tell you these are the applications that the ICU nurse uses. So now we can build a role for ICU nurse. And, and you, that's, you know, you take it from, from the data to the, to the description. Ooh, that's a good phrase. Data to the Ooh, I like position description uh, rather than starting with the description. But yeah, it, you know, you can't boil the ocean. We, we go in when Improvata does an IDG project, we go in and say, look, here's five applications. Your five primary applications, of course, your, your clinical application, usually exchange online, Office 365, some kind of ERP system, loss and workday, something like that, and then whatever else they decide. And these are the five we're going to do and get you up and running and get you some value and so that you can then prove to your CFO, to your CMO, to your CMIO, look, if you let me run it this way in this automated fashion, we can do this well. I want to talk, uh, we don't have too much time left, but I want to talk about the, the Gartner paper. I want to get your thoughts, each of you, on um, the takeaways that, that you brought from that paper and uh, sort of what you'd like the audience to know about anything that's in there. Randy, do you have any thoughts on that paper? Yeah, I, I would say one of the things that I really like um, is this, this idea that you want to take a platform-based approach. Um, and, and because you'll never, you know, there'll never be the one silver bullet or the one thing to rule them all or, or anything like that. Right. So, so if you take a platform based approach to this, um, you're, you're going to get, um, you know, you're, you're going to get the flexibility that you need without too much deviation. And so if, if we, if I think about that and I apply it, apply it to Microsoft and, and in Pravada, since Wes and I are on the phone here, so that's what our organizations have done together, right, through a partnership, is take this platform-based approach where Microsoft has a broad identity sort of ecosystem there that, that applies to a bunch of different industries and use cases. And, you know, there's a lot of applications and services that are already built into that thing. And, and then those on top of that are flexible to, to use for different use cases. And then, you know, Improvata has a tool set that, that plugs into that identity ecosystem and then makes it uh, more applicable to very specific workflows and applications and other things for healthcare provider organizations. And so when you take that, you take that um, platform-based approach, you get that underlying ecosystem that, that more or less works together natively and can create a unified um, identity, unified digital identity, and then, um, you know, has uh, the hooks, if you will, both sort of out of the box as well as, you know, um, extendable connections to then plug that into the rest of your ecosystem. Um, contrast that to the way that, you know, many folks tried to do this in the past. And that is they bought sort of the best of breed tool for each individual thing. And, um, you know, what they, what, what happened was now the integration of all those tools is actually, you know, as hard or maybe even in some cases harder 
than solving my actual problem, which was managing the digital identity and giving people the access they need and preventing access to stuff they didn't need and, and those kinds of things. And so I, I like this idea of a platform-based approach, um, you know, that was sort of, I think, you know, if not explicit, certainly implied by the Gartner paper. Wes, your thoughts on the paper? Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more with what uh, Randy said. Um, and <laughs> the one line that I, I really liked uh, out of the paper, and it's a trivial one, I made that so I'll get to something less trivial. But in the paper, it, it says, you know, uh, there's a little asterisk that says, Improvada is the only one of these companies that focuses in healthcare. And, and that's true. Um, you know, there's a lot of horizontal players uh, in this market. And what Randy said about uh, uh, the Microsoft platform plus the Improvada platform uh, gives healthcare that complete digital identity framework, now a platform because we've added products to it, um, that our healthcare uh, consumers need. Uh, because, you know, back uh, to quote the HISAC, you know, one of their recommended best practices is. Uh, use a unified system to manage your IAM needs. And, and that, that integration that we have with Microsoft and the other products that we have in our platform uh, give us that uh, unified system that Randy's talking about. But really, from the paper, I just, I just like Barry just stomping his foot, double emphasizing, ringing the bell, pulling the, the string, whatever, you, whatever phrase you want to say. <laughs> That, that says, look, you can't do digital transformation without a decent IGA system in place. I mean, that, that's, that is the foot stomper coming out of that paper for me. That, that is it. All right. As a last thing, I want to get this in because I'm curious. Wes, you have a question for Randy. Yeah. Yeah. But not really germane to the subject that we're talking now. So that's probably even better. Even so. better. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's, uh, Randy, I, I, your reaction just kind of around, you know, you're just initial. I don't need anything in depth. This solar winds thing, man, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, pretty damn bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a pretty strong statement, but that still might be an understatement, right? I, I, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the, uh, what I would say here is the cobbler has no shoes, right? I, I mean, right. here we are, you know, as IT professionals and practitioners, you know, we're, we're trying to do the right thing for the organizations we support and, and all those kinds of things. And yet we're, we're not necessarily paying attention to our own house, if you will, right. you know. And so, you know, SolarWind is a tool that's meant to help IT professionals, you know, ensure the availability and, and reliability and all that, all that of their systems yep. so that, you know, nurses aren't without the information they need. Doctors aren't without the apps that they need, you know, so on and so forth. And yet, at the same time, you know, we have to be just as diligent with those, you know, you know our own applications and our own services yeah. that, as we are with the ones that we support on behalf of, you know, our customers, if you will. And so, um, you, you know, I, I, think, I think that's really the moral of that story, right, is just because it's an IT system 
doesn't mean that it's not just as important to ensure security, privacy, you know, compliance and all, yep. all of those kinds of things. And maybe even more, because in the case of SolarWinds, that system likely had some privileged access to things, exactly. right? So that it could do, yep. you know, update routers or, you know, roll out configurations to switches or servers or whatever. And so maybe it even had more access. And so it, therefore it needs even more. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to not pick on SolarWinds here. I'm going to take this back to my Microsoft. So if you have Azure, make sure that, you know, you reduce the number of, you know, admins that you have for your Azure subscription. Please put two-factor authentication on those admin admin accounts in Azure, um, you know, on and on and on, right? So I, this isn't a solar winds thing. This is a, our IT systems need to be, you know, just as perhaps more um, attention to them uh, from a security, privacy, compliance, you, you know, that sort of thing, yeah. than then, then any user application. Yeah, so. yeah, I, and I agree with you, Randy. It's not a solar winds thing. It's not a it's not a vendor kind of thing. It's a it's a like you always said that the cobblers cobblers kids have no shoes. You know, we've, <laughs> we've got we've got to get some we've got to get some shoes uh, for the boys and girls and. And, and you know it was FireEye before SolarWinds, and um, you know, and it goes the HISAC paper too. You know, it, it's it's got to be an identity and access management system across the entire ecosystem. Like you said, Randy, I'm sure there was some administrative accounts that that uh, that these these vendors' products, let's say that, were using, uh, but because they were administrative accounts. People may not have been watching them the way that uh, they could have been because they are administrative accounts or their system accounts, and it's those ones that that have the power that we have to be uh, we have to be <laughs> wary of. Yep. Sorry. Wow. All right. Excellent. Excellent. We covered a lot of ground here. Um, cobbler. You didn't give plumbing. me a chance to ask. You didn't give oh, me a chance go, to ask. Go ahead, Randy. Question. You're right. Come on now. Go ahead. You go ahead. Please. You can't. You can't give Wes the the ability to try to stump me and then then you know not not give <laughs> me the same you, opportunity. He he did throw you a curveball. <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so so Wes, I, I I broke in because I'm you know super interested in your thoughts on this, right? So if we think about where you and I came from, up through you know the healthcare IT world and what we used to do and and you know what we were responsible for and all that, and I contrast that to what's going on now around digital transformation. So this idea that I've got to run a patient portal that does scheduling and other in other words. I've got to be a consumer focused technology organization now. I didn't used to have to be I didn't used to have to do that as an IT department, right? I only focused on my employees. I was an enterprise right. IT department, not consumer focused. And so, you know, I, I guess my question for you is um, you know, as a former CTO and CIO and, and leader of healthcare IT. Are IT departments embracing that that change to now be responsible for consumer technology, and are they adapting their organizational structure and their people that they're hiring and all that in order to be able to do that and be as good as an Amazon or as good as a, you know, um, pick your consumer you yeah. know product um, organization at, at engaging their customers with technology. Uh, is I, are IT departments, you know, doing a good job at that? Or do, do they even recognize that, that they have to change to be able to do that? 
Uh, yeah, first, yeah, big recognition uh, that they have to change. Maybe not to necessarily to be able to do that. And, and second, are they embracing that? You know, it, it, health IT and Randy, you know that. You know, we've been saying this. You know, it's there's ten pounds of work, and uh, and you got a five pound bag, uh, and so you're you, you've always got more work than 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 what you have capacity to do the work. So while they understand, yeah, we are going to have to be as good as Amazon, as good as, like you said, choose your consumer. Um, we just don't have the bandwidth to do it. And not only are the IT departments recognizing that, the, the other C-level folks are recognizing that. And what I'm seeing more often than not is, is a, um, I hate to say it, but a carve out. Uh, and it may not may not necessarily be a carve out, and oftentimes it's in addition to the ID uh, IT department that really is. They take people from Expedia, and they take people from uh, uh, Amazon, and they take people from Microsoft, and say, "Look, these these people that have been the traditional IT people, they are going to continue being the traditional IT people, but we need somebody who's consumer focused." that mm -hmm. these traditional IT people actually support those consumer-focused people where the consumer-focused people can actually focus on the consumer and not have to worry about the, the uh, IT backend. That's what I'm seeing more than anything in you know, those medium to large shops and in in some medium to smaller IT shops. All I'm, all I'm seeing is uh, plates full, sacks full, whatever you wanna use, and here's some more stuff to put on top of it. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, that's going to, you know, inevitably fail, which is going to lead to consolidation, which is going to lead to monopolistic behavior, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, had to, I had to bring that up because of the 60 minute Sutter thing that, that came out this last weekend, having been there myself. All right. Listen, it it makes sense, Wes, and I think I'm see. I think I, we see the same thing, right? So whether yep. they call it a chief digital office or, yep. uh, you, you know, it's a it's a new organization they built under marketing and that sort of thing, and 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 you know, um, that's a lot where a lot of the growth is in digital transformation versus you know, like you said, IT is still doing a lot of what IT has always done. So it's good, good to right. good to hear you're seeing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. For what it's worth, I agree with you, Wes. If that makes you feel good. Just in <laughs> Golly, case. if if that's if I can just take that with me throughout the rest of the day, Anthony, that I'm, you it may. warms my heart. You may. All right. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I'm sure people have other things to do today, so we're going to let them go. Uh, regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording is ready for viewing of this uh, educational and comedic uh, hour we've spent together. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox. You go to go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. And with that, I want to thank our panelists. This was a wonderful and fun discussion. Randy Nail and Wes Wright. I want to thank Improvada for sponsoring. And I want to thank you, our attendees, for joining. So with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Breaking yeah, matter.